One of the things that I was taught over and over when I was growing up was to keep my commitments. If you said you would do it, then do it. If you started it, then finish it. It was a pretty good way to learn to live with a sense of integrity and responsibility, but there were some times when I paid a high price. One example that comes to my mind was my experience with the Boy Scouts. I have no doubt that many, many people have a wonderful and positive experience with Boy Scouts, but I did not. Cub Scouts was fine. Weeblows was fine that year between Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, but Boy Scouts was not. I had made a commitment. I even had the uniform. I had joined the troop, but it was awful. I still have disturbed memories of some of the things that happened on camping trips. But I stuck with it. I thought you couldn't quit. You weren't supposed to quit. Finally, something must have slipped out in conversation, or maybe my parents noticed just how unhappy I was. They asked me what was going on. I started to tell them a few things, and then the the whole story spilled out. When they heard what was going on, that was the end of my scouting career. They could see that the cost was too high. They released me from my commitment. And sometimes that's the way it is. Sometimes we have to be released from something we said we would do, some commitment we said we would keep, especially if we did not know what we were getting into or if we were told the benefits would outweigh the costs and instead the costs far outweigh the benefits, or even more so if the experience or the environment is toxic. That's the way it is in some areas of life. But now let's get right to it in regard to Christian faith. Is there a release clause for faith, an escape hatch from discipleship? Should there be a way out, or should you make that decision on your way in? Now, a little side note, I said Christian faith. I didn't say church, because even though I wish it were the case that without exception the church is not toxic, in some cases and in some places it is. So I don't want to advocate for people staying in toxic environments. But I do want to talk about Christian faith in terms of the matter, in terms of the calculation, the decision to follow Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus, is there a release clause you are allowed to invoke later on? Or should you make your commitment decision on the way in? It seems from this morning's scripture text that Jesus wants you to decide up front whether you are all in or not. That is, he doesn't want you to start and then stop because you didn't know what you were getting into. And once you headed down the trail, suddenly you discovered that the path was going in a completely different direction than was advertised at the trailhead. So up front, he wants you to know that this commitment to discipleship, to following in Jesus' way, is both serious and very likely quite demanding. To be a disciple of Christ may cost quite a bit. And so before you breezily say, sure, I'm in, or can't be that hard, can it? Or it's going to make my life easier, right? Stop for a moment and listen to a scripture like this. 
Discipleship, Jesus says, is a tough road, a costly one, at least in terms of the things that the world places at high value. Things like influence, reputation, safety, comfort, being pain-free. Even something like the cultural call to prioritize family relationships and family loyalty over everything else. Following Jesus may cost you in these areas. So, go in with eyes open. Go in having made the assessment, the calculation. Can you follow Christ without knowing that compassion will cost you, that there will be costs associated with service, that there is a price to be paid for peacemaking, that there will be cost in terms of the relational pain of vulnerability, that you may well suffer if you are a seeker of justice, especially as you come alongside and seek justice for those who have no power to seek justice for themselves. Can you make the discipleship journey without paying a price in the places that matter? No, there will be costs in all these areas. And maybe the most potent reminder of that in this scripture passage is the mention of the cross. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, while that statement about the cross may be a reference that is offered by the writer in hindsight, that is, it could be that the gospel writer has Jesus talking about taking up the cross, not because Jesus had some foreknowledge, but because the writer knew after the fact that it would be the means of Jesus' death. That could be the case. But even if it isn't, the cross is the reality of Jesus and the reality of those who would follow him. That is, in this world, the possibility of suffering and even death stands along the path of those who would follow Christ. That is, those who would challenge the status quo for the sake of anyone on the margins, the poor, the hungry, the naked, the prisoner. The cross casts a shadow over the heads of those who say, in the echo of Jesus, to the religious and political powers that be, you have heard it said, but I say to you. The cost of carrying the cross may show itself when you give away your possessions while everyone else is grabbing all they can. And the cross could well be a consequence of loving not only those who love you, but loving the unlovable, the stranger, and even your enemy. You may suffer when you stand on matters of conscience when it would be easier just to go along with the crowd. When you advocate for peace in a violence-soaked culture. When you seek the well-being of orphans and widows and indeed anyone who is in need or who is disenfranchised. And when you stand up in a way that testifies that the truth is more important to you than the tribe. All those expressions of commitment to the way of Jesus will have consequences or, as Jesus says, costs. So you have to make this calculation. Do you want to pay those costs? Are you willing to pay them? What if it means losing your life as you know it? 
What about that? What about taking up the cross with Jesus, facing suffering, facing death? Now, mind you, when I talk about costs and consequences, I'm talking about deep matters, not irritations or inconveniences. And I say that because I think sometimes we can get a little out of tune on these matters. We think of the inconveniences of life as the costs, as if counting the costs that Jesus would have us count is anything like putting up with having to do more than our fair share of the chores, having to wash the dirty dishes that someone else left in the sink, things we didn't sign on to do, but we end up doing anyway, the extra work. So let's be clear that the costs, as Jesus talks about them, that they are of a different magnitude. The costs of being a disciple, as Jesus talks about, aren't the things that you end up doing that create for you some inconvenience and some accompanying irritation. The cost of being a disciple, as Jesus talks about, are the things that you must give up that change your experience of life. The things you give up whether with intention or against your wishes, because the giving up was more important than the hanging on. That is, to keep your integrity, to keep the center of who you are and who you want to be, someone walking in the way of Christ, the giving up, was more important than the hanging on. Not that it is easy. It never is. These things that you give up are the things that in the moment of sacrifice can almost feel as though they are the losses that have caused your life to become unmoored forcing you into a kind of exile as you wait for life to come back into balance, even as you're uncertain if it ever will. You know what I'm talking about when I draw attention to the difference between surface sacrifices and deep matters, right? For example, I'd ask you to think not only of the uneasiness you feel when you have to make a significant adjustment and suddenly you can't quite get everything to line up the way you hoped or expected, but to think of the uneasiness you feel when you are actively attacked or undermined or misunderstood in regard to your principles, especially when you thought you were doing the right thing the faithful thing. Or think of the uneasiness you feel when you face the contempt of another person or group of people for some commitment or conviction you hold dear, something about which you are certain Christ would care as well. Or think about the uneasiness you feel when your faith lines you up with an unpopular minority position and you know you've got to stick with the vulnerable minority status even though what you believe unleashes the venom of the majority or the establishment. 
Or think about the uneasiness you feel when you don't know whether something you've done or said in the spirit of the radical Christ might cost you your job or your friends or your reputation, but you know in your heart that you had to do what you had to do. That's when you truly count the cost. Counting the cost isn't deciding whether or not you will take the silver or gold warranty before you sign on the dotted line in the dealership finance office. It isn't adding up all the dollars that you spent to meet the insurance deductible before the full coverage kicked in. I know something about that. It isn't making every decision on a loss or gain calculation. Counting the cost as Christians in this context as part of this community is deciding to be a true Jesus follower even when you sense that maybe others have hijacked Jesus and hijacked the gospel so that they can call you a heretic even as you seek the Jesus way. Counting the cost is keeping your saltiness even when it seems safer to be bland or to be plain, to escape notice or criticism. Counting the cost is what you do when Jesus asks you, as he once asked Peter, do you love me? And you say, of course I do. And he says, then feed my sheep. And you know that feeding sheep is the least glamorous, most disrespected, hardest, dirtiest job you could have. But nevertheless, you decide that you will do it, and you will not only feed the sheep, but you will learn to love them to boot. Learn to love something as difficult and foolish as sheep, because loving those who cannot earn your love is the way of Jesus. And you put your whole self into giving your whole self with no guarantee of a payoff for yourself. But you do it anyway because you have staked everything on the choice and commitment to trust Jesus. That's counting the cost. Look, for a long time, many, many of us have operated on the approval principle. That having the approval of others makes us feel good and secure, and therefore that's what matters. That's what validates our lives. The corollary to the approval principle is the avoidance of conflict ideal. Do good, but also make sure the good you do doesn't create conflict, especially conflict at close quarters. But isn't it interesting? Jesus wasn't an approval seeker. He was a teacher, a healer, a prophet, and ultimately a savior. And he didn't avoid conflict. He didn't worship tribe, he didn't worship tradition, he didn't worship resources, he didn't worship approval, he worshiped God, the God of forgiveness, of hope, of healing, of transformation. And in doing that, he blazed a new trail of grace and hope. He walked a more holistic and healing way. And what he promised us is this, that if we are willing to count and pay the cost of following his way, it may cost us in the present moment. But in the cosmic context it will be worth it as we too find our way into the realm of God. My wife often reads my sermon draft. Usually it's in good timing. Last night she, wrote, she read it late in the evening. 
I said, how is it? She said, I think it's good. She said, but you know what it makes me think of? I said, what? She said, it makes me think about Bob France. What happened to him after he went to the March on Washington? I said, oh, yeah. So I came in early this morning, and I found my funeral notes from Bob's service in 2011. And this is part of the story I told at that service. In 1963, Bob went to the March on Washington. He may have even been one of the people who gathered and organized others from this community to go. Bob was at that time a realtor here in this community. His father had a real estate business, and Bob took it over. And he was about seven years into his realty business. And when he came back from the March on Washington, a rumor circulated that he was planning to relocate black families to North Manchester. Now, Bob had no such plan, but often rumors have within them the seed of truth. And the seed of truth was that if black families had come to North Manchester looking to buy homes, Bob would have treated them with all fairness and respect and full and equal service. Anyway, the rumor was enough to dry up his business. Suddenly, his career as a realtor was done. Someone in the business department at Manchester College hired him, more from pity, Bob said, than anything else, although I don't think that was entirely true. And through hard work and perseverance, Bob made that work into a second career. Now, it's interesting to note that none of that story appeared in Bob's obituary. He did not want his hardship highlighted. He did not want it to define his life. Instead, this is the quote from Joseph Fort Newton that he chose for his self-definition, his faith statement. I believe in life, even if it is broken and often bitter, because it gives me the truth to seek, love to win, beauty to adore, and a chance to do a little good to my fellow human beings along the way. I believe that courage is the first virtue of life, as kindness is its final joy. And if we dare to be our best and seek the best in others, we shall leave the world a little better than we found it. Make no mistake, this is not about idealism. This is about simple daily actions. Sometimes the choice is a big one, but mostly it is day by day, and it requires commitment and discipline and determination and doggedness step by step. Christine Pohl, a seminary ethics professor, points out as well that it isn't once and done. It's ongoing. She writes... It might be easier if we could count the cost once, make the necessary sacrifice, and get it over with. But the costs of discipleship are often ongoing, and faithfulness requires a tenacity that it does not give up in the face of trouble and understands sacrifice in a larger picture that is richly life-affirming. 
While we might prefer to make a single dramatic sacrifice as an expression of our commitment, usually the way of faithfulness involves laying down our lives in little pieces through small decisions and unremarkable acts of kindness and generosity. It is daily, and it is difficult. We live in a time when nearly everything and everyone around you will tell you that you can have it all for the right price, that prosperity is your destiny if you are deserving and smart enough, that money is power and power is validation. Do you believe that? Or would you rather take up with the unpopular and less likely path of following someone who says that your truest and best purpose is to carry a cross? I'm like Julie. Some days I don't know if I can do it, if I can carry the cross. I don't know if I'm capable. All I can see are my limitations and maybe my lack of courage. What about you? Here's some good news and maybe some bad news, both. Taking up the cross may involve suffering. That's the bad news. It is hard to say what the cost will look like for any one of us at any particular time. But along with any estimate of suffering, there is also the promise of trust and hope. That's the good news. And we are created to be compassionate and giving and kind and generous. And so we're also created with courage and fortitude. We are able to pay the price for something better than the meanness and cruelty that so often directs the actions of this world. We are created for discipleship. And we are given the strength and the perseverance to do it. So, we make the choice. But know this, you can do it. And I can do it. We can do discipleship. We may struggle with it, but we are also meant for it. And God knows this world needs it. Needs people of compassionate integrity, courage, and hope in the way of Christ. Amen.